Hello, salutations, salutations. This is Ellie Khalil. We're back. I have a very, very special guest with me. His name is Garrett McQueen. How are you doing, good sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Thank you for being here. Thank you for taking the time. I would like to get, you know, get to know of you a bit more. And just to get straight into it, you are one of the first motivators, motivators and inspirations to get me involved, to get me to sparking this idea of a podcast to not only just, you know, find what I wanted to talk about, but just to talk. You know, hearing yeah. your hearing your voice, very soft spoken, very intelligent. You know, there's a um, there's always been a few occasions, definitely with you know with women specifically, they just want to hear my voice. It doesn't even matter what I'm saying. <laughs> they just want to hear my voice, and I just got into a space as of recently, like I want to be able to profit. I want to be able to capitalize on what people like what people find soothing, what people mm -hmm. find entertaining. And with you, I was just wondering, you know, how did you get into this, you know, industry? But how has talking, how has your voice, has it changed? Has it, has it always been the same? How people react to your voice? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really crazy when folks talk about my physical voice, because I feel like a lot of folks in radio and podcasting spend a lot of time thinking about that. I spent the first 10 years of my career uh, as, a, as a musician, so it wasn't my voice, it was my ability to play the bassoon that was getting me here and there. So when I started to transition into radio and, um, and later other content creation, I would always get folks saying, oh, wow, you have the perfect voice. And, and I'm, I'm just, I'm lucky, I'm blessed in that regard. There are plenty of people who, you know, I've, I've, being in national radio, you get a lot of feedback, you get a lot of good, you get a lot of the bad, as I'm sure you can imagine. So there are plenty of people out there that think I have an annoying sounding voice, but, you know, you just push forward and, and, uh, and you really focus on uh, what you can give to the people and if I can give them a little comfort or are soothing you know with my content or even with my very voice hey I love it I, that, that's what I'm here for now you, you mentioned about the bassoon and starting out with the bassoon you was you could say the bassoon was the door opener how how early um how early did you get into playing the bassoon and instruments yeah. in general yeah so I mean I was I was always a, a singer, you know, from early childhood coming up in the church and and doing all that. And uh, when I was in seventh grade, when I was about 12 years old, I had the opportunity to um, do music in school. And I figured that I was a little bit too good of a singer to join the, the school choir. So I was like, OK, fine, I'll I'll uh, learn to play an instrument. So I joined the school band and uh, that's the instrument that was handed to me. And as they say, the rest is history. You know, I stuck with it through middle school, high school, um, mm -hmm. got my bachelor's in um, in orchestral performance, uh, bassoon, uh, master's degree in the same thing, you know, went on to um, play in several orchestras across the country. And yeah, that really laid the groundwork for, you know, not only my knowledge of, you know, what we call classical music and other genres of music, but it laid the groundwork for what I wanted, you know, my career to look like after that based on those experiences. And based on those experiences, at what point did you really start and get in your groove? And what was your favorite, what was your favorite moment that, you know, was it a performance? Was it an event leading up to a performance or after it? What were, what was the, um, you know, your favorite event? 
Yeah, there are countless musical moments that I can name, but one that really uh, sticks out in my mind is uh, actually when I was on radio, some of my early days in radio. So it was maybe, I don't know, four, three, four, five years ago, um, about around now, it was uh, Valentine's Day. And, um, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was, you know, doing my work as far as making sure that my audience understood, you know, the black roots of the, the classical music uh, that I was sharing with them on the radio. Um, I also wanted to acknowledge Black History Month, but who can let Valentine's Day go without saying anything? So I decided on the air to read a telegram letter um, uh, sent way back when from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, to his wife, Coretta Scott King, read that um, on the air as a Black history moment and connecting it uh, to music with an orchestral arrangement of uh, the famous tune, My Girl, you know, for Valentine's. And all of the feedback I was getting, especially from, you know, Black folk who loved seeing um, our culture and our music validated in that way. I think that's definitely a moment that I'll never forget. And certainly, you you know, the start of, of bigger things. I think it was in that moment when I realized that I might be onto something with my approach to, to my work. Right. And that definitely does. I mean, that's a moment for sure. That's, you know, you kind of like took a chance and you, you messed two things together and to hear that positive feedback definitely from your own people. I mean, that's, that's what we like to have, you know? Absolutely. Now, you know, you've been in this industry for some time and, you know, like you said about having good feedback, bad feedback, criticism, things of that nature. Is there is there a specific moment where if you if you look back, you you know, you could have done better than what you did? You know, I mean, maybe performing or. Yeah, I mean, I think every musician, even every content creator um is is very critical of their own work i'm sure you go back and listen to some episodes of your podcast and say oh i wish i would have said that different or you know we we we, we all deal with that but i think that's of the beauty of being an artist you know there's not a uh you know uh musicality uh professionalism um really creating um impactful content it's not a destination it's a journey we're always learning we're always taking in the world around us to build our content and to uh, build the dialogue that we 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 want to share with people so yeah there there are many moments looking back where I, I say to myself oh I wish I would have you know done something a little differently but I certainly 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 have no regrets you know um, if, if folks um, Google my name you know usually the first link or the second link that comes up is some drama that I had uh, with a with a radio station last year and you know even even something like that can seem um, like something that was a step backwards or, oh, I would have done that differently. But, you know, I, I really uh, stick to my guns. And I think, you know, as artists, as content creators, if we really understand what our values are, you know, if we're really centered in that way, there's nothing that can shake us off, not even, you know, um, a, a job transition or negative feedback or being so-called canceled. You know, if you right. really believe in something, you have to stick with it. And, and, and that's what I'm proud to be able to say about myself and, and, and my journey. Right. You know, that's definitely a, a rare occasion when Definitely with the the power of the people and power of social media where you stick by what you said. Right. You know, you mentioned about an incident, you know, regarding a fellow radio station last year. And, you know, you stick by what you said. I I, I count that back to when J. Cole and No Name had that little bit of a right. tumble 
And he, you know, after he put the music out, he, he tweeted like, I stand by what I said, you know, and I, I, it's not about just respecting that. I just admire that, you know, because so many people would, you know, so many, so many people would say, oh, I would have, I would have, you know, I would have said what I said. I wouldn't have deleted my tweet. I would have stood by it, but they're not in that position when you have money on the line, you have reputation on the line, you have things of that nature all on the line. That was a, that that whole situation was interesting because what I think it taught us, and I'm a I'm a fan of J Cole. This is not J Cole hate at all. Let me let me start by saying that. Right. It was a perfect example of being able to really back up what you do, back up what you say. You know, dig into those values and have other places to point to people. When J Cole tweeted, you know, I, I don't I don't really be reading like that or or whatever he said. You know, I think that sent a very strong message as far as the depth of what art can be. And, you know, again, I'll repeat myself. This is not J. Cole hate. But if you know, if it wasn't millions of dollars that we're talking about in this industry, I wonder how the discourse would be different. You know, no name is out here. Uh, and I don't know how much you know about her background, but, you know, she um, had parents who owned the bookshop. So she mm -hmm. was always reading and learning and studying uh, from the ancestors. So when she talks, when she speaks on something, it's not just because it's cool or it's making her money or or even because it sounds so smart. It's something that she's researched and, and spent time with. And I think there were you know, rights and wrongs and in-betweens on both sides of that whole thing. But my takeaway is that we always have to be able to back up what we're saying with a little with a little bit of context and a little bit of reading, certainly if we're talking about something that's pro-Black. Right. And I don't think either one of them, I don't think none of it, I mean, sure, with some of the subliminals, it was towards one another. Right. I don't think it was necessarily J. Cole versus No Name. It kind of felt like a like a party versus another party. You have the party that are, you know, educated, that are, that were built into it. Then you have the ones that, you know, not were, they weren't so, you know, educated and built into it, but I guess they're starting to get into it. You know, I, I appreciate J. Cole being as honest as he was, you know, no, no yeah. name <clears throat> responding, because no name, um, I know she has a book club. I know she does, yep. you know, charities and things like that. She's in, she's in it, you know, and she's in it with, you know, a background that is to be respected. And J. Cole, you know, he's in it and he's been able to be in it because of his success in, in rap, you know, with having enough money and, you know, resources. And, you know, with J. Cole, I really appreciate it because it's been a minute since I heard any new J. Cole. So it's like a right, win right. For, for me. And, and let me qualify what I was saying by saying, you know, it's it's not completely um, invalidating if somebody can't list off these 10 authors or these 10 books on this topic that they've read. I don't mean to invalidate just, you know, street knowledge, everyday knowledge, even that ancestral memory that I talk about sometimes. So you don't have to be some, you know, library living bookworm to be able to, you know, speak to certain things. That's not what I'm saying. What, what I am saying is that we have to respect folks like No Name who have done that sort of legwork and whose work is inspired by that study and not just, you know, words off the, off the top of our heads. You know, it's, it, it's important yeah. to acknowledge both sides. And I feel like there's there's uh, two 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 groups you could be in the group that knows from education and the group that knows off of experience. Right. I feel like exactly. 
it's it's important to not if you know if guided writing with you know the right the right audience and everything like that it is not made we're not supposed to be going at one another you know and I, I feel like a lot of people did try to trist their intentions you know j cole he didn't really say anything malicious he was just saying how he felt right you know, that's the that's the art of music and you know with that being said just you mentioned about you know definitely we know from artist to artist you know every every day or every new song every paint painting anything you know we while we made a mistake while we made some mistakes and everything we have no regrets with cancel culture cancel culture yeah things of that nature why can't why can't the audience why can't the the, the subscribers the consumers why can't they not allow artists to grow i feel like they kind of oh you're not they don't realize where people or they don't realize you know beyonce is a person or whoever their idol is like why, why can't why can't we grow why can't you know superstars celebrities grow well, I think you hit it right there and that a lot of people don't see somebody that they see on TV all the time or hear on the radio all the time, always digging into their music. Don't think of those people as human. Don't think of those folks as people with feelings. And that's something that I have a uh, direct, direct, direct uh, experience with, you know, back in my days uh, on national radio, all sorts of folks, you would be surprised at the heat and the spice people on the classical music side of things will have for you. You know, uh, folks just not wanting me in that space, you know, thinking that I'm uh, making everything about race, you know, when from my perspective, it's, it's all about shining a light where a light hasn't been shined, you know, they will send mean and derogatory things, not understanding that, uh, you're a you're a person. Now, I think it's the responsibility of folks on the other side of that to to you know see that perspective and not let things that really aren't that important get to you. I'm not I'm not remembering the exact lyric right now. I know you I know you uh, listen to a lot of Drake. I listen to a lot of Drake as well. And um, maybe in the song "Emotionless," he's he's talking about you know how folks on the other side of the screen are usually just underage and looking looking for attention. I can't quite remember the exact bar, yeah. but I but I think that that's exactly what it gets down to. Yes, people people you know, suck. People send mean things. People don't uh, think of other people as human when they're when they're pushing certain things out there. Um, and I won't say but and folks on the other side of that need to, you know, not put too much stake into things that at the end of the day don't really matter. And you're absolutely correct. I feel like, um, you know, with the emotionalist, he 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 said some things that were needed to be said for sure. And I think that's with... my favorite Drake song. I think that's my favorite Drake song, period. Yeah. I feel like I have like five different, there's like five hundred different styles of Drake. So there's like five hundred different Drake songs. You got Jamaican, you got Toronto, yeah. you got you just you got regular Drake, you got Jimmy Drake, Jimmy Drake from Degrassi. You got a lot of Drake. And I love Drake. You you yeah, you know I love Drake. Yeah, no, um, I stand as well. <laughs> but yeah, he was mentioning about just the being on the phone and they're they're hating so and so other people could feel how they feel, right? You know, and I feel like definitely with social media, when you have the memes, you have this the derogatory text, you got all these different ways to communicate how you feel, and it's important to know, and to know who is saying it. I, you know, I also love the Joe Budden podcast, and when Joe Budden oh, yeah. were going, you know, the the 
the the boys were just going through so much hate. Oh, they don't know how to do good business. They don't know how to get a deal. You know, Ian, he can lend them a deal. And for months, they had to go through that for months. And you're right. like, and the crazy thing is we were talking about, we're talking about not only the, the fanboys, but we're talking about people who were in the industry saying those things. Yeah. And it's just about who is saying it, how much power is in it. Because if you allow people, just random people to say, you know what, you're not doing good enough. What, how, how long do you expect to be in this industry? How, you, how long do you expect to be in the position of success or power? You know, I mean, I, and I think that's actually maybe how we made an initial uh, connection years ago. You know, uh, both of us listening to and tweeting about the Joe Button podcast. I really love um, how dynamic that community is as uh, and I'll, I'll say it as toxic as <laughs> the parts of that community can be. I think it's really incredible um, how he and his team have been able to uh, join so many people together. Look, if this is the way I think about it. When, when I saw that whole discourse about bad business and X, Y, and Z, if somebody like me, a classically trained bassoonist who's worked in orchestras and public radio and, and, and all of those corners of, of the music industry, if Joe Button's work can just organically come across my eyes and I genuinely become a fan of, of what they're doing, I think that speaks to, you know, the impact that he's been able to make. So when people, you know, uh, doubt their business decisions i think they're not thinking about the depth of which you know he's he's been able to really infuse something new into the world of entertainment which is you know um the monetization of podcasting and really centering content creators in what we uh consume and i think that goes you know even beyond uh, the joe button podcast or 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 podcasts in general any kind of business any kind of, of philanthropy even you know any any type of of nonprofit work if there's if there's a train that's moving if there's a if there's a business or an organization that's moving and they're making um and they're in front of your eyes first of all as someone not in that specific corner of of an industry and uh, they're still able to keep things going after all of these years, after all these ups and downs. You have to have you have to have faith in that. I think uh, people take for granted that those of us who create content, we're not doing it for us. I mean, I won't speak for all content creators. I'll speak for myself. I'm not doing it for me. The type of content I, I put together is, you know, to inspire the people, specifically folks um, in my corner of the music industry, but just right. to, you know, help them think and help them imagine what uh, some sort of better future future could be a, a more equitable future. I feel like folks like Joe um, center the audience in the same way, you know, when we talk about content creation. So I think as, as audience members, as fans of people's work, uh, we have to support first and foremost, you know, it's not just words. We have to support, we have to, you know, donate to each other, buy each other's merch, you know, whatever it takes. But I think number two is, is putting trust in the content creators, trusting that they are thinking about the content, thinking about the audience and always making what they think are the best decisions. You're absolutely correct. And you, you hit it out of the park again. Second home run with content creators <laughs> and with early content creators, you know, such as myself and for the younger generation. What word of advice? What can you say for us that, you know, when when we're, we're putting new things out, we may be faced with the numbers games or we may be faced with the analytics or maybe faced with, you know, the Joe Buttons, the Joe Rogans, right. the 
you got Michelle Obama on a podcast. You got, you know, the 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 Duchess on a podcast. Like, what can you say about just, you know, staying within your course, not, you know, not worrying about numbers? Like what from your experience or from, you know, from your knowledge, what what can you give us about that? What can you share? Yeah. What's coming on the top of my head is just asking yourself, you know, a series of questions. The first question being, where do I as a person fit into the world? So I'm thinking about, you know, your day to day. What are you passionate about? Who are the people that you want to be in contact with? What are the stories that you want to surround yourself, not even as a content creator, excuse me, but as a um, and as as a human being, you know, just what space do you want to fit in? What, what do you want your life to, to look like in that way? So I think after you figure that out, what, wherever that is for you, you know, for me, it's classical music, uh, so-called classical music. Maybe it's cooking and, and the culinary arts. Maybe it's hip hop. Maybe it's, you know, philanthropy, really connecting folks out on the streets, you know, just figuring out what you would do for free, what you want to spend your time doing. Okay. So from there, you know, when we talk about turning that passion into some sort of content and in, in, into some sort of project, you know, I, I always ask myself, how am I unique? How am I approaching what I want to approach in a different way? And I figured out how to do that when it comes to uh, classical music. From there, you know, once you have the foundation of your passion, how you want that passion to manifest in some sort of content and project to just do it and just to, to keep doing it. You know, there are going to be days when, you know, numbers or impact looks a little low. I think I found that, you know, when you start a project, there's a lot of excitement about it. Those numbers look great. And more times than not, it kind of, you know, falls off a little bit just to just because people are always interested in the new thing. And maybe it takes a little while for them to hook in. So to just keep doing it, because at the end of the day, when you are on the, I don't know, 20th or 30th episode of, of, of what you're doing, that is going to be, you know, so valuable 100 episodes from then or 200 episodes from then, even right. if those numbers look a, a little low. So I would just say those those things, you know, find where you fit into the world outside of work, outside of content creation, figure out what sort of project, what sort of content you want to create from that passion and to just do and do it and keep doing it and not to be discouraged by you know, clout or numbers or, or right. anything, because you will grow. The c consistency is everything. Uh, and I'll, I'll close out this little section, you know, just, just by saying um, everything, I believe everything in this world has cause and effect. I practice Nietzsche and Buddhism and causality is the, the only absolute truth in that practice, which means every action has a reaction. There's a, an effect to every cause. So if you keep doing something, there will be effect. You just have to keep at it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Round of applause, everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would like to know where you where are you at right now? Where where are you at? Where are you based out right now? So I um, grew up. I spent the most time uh, down south in Memphis, Tennessee, um, home of Drake's dad. So you know uh, a connection there. Um, yes, but I've sir. lived in uh, many cities. But before we started recording, I told you I spent some time in Los Angeles. Um, I played with the Detroit Symphony for years, did some work in New York, was down in Knoxville, Tennessee, 
uh, for about five years, and that's where I got into radio. Um, but right now, I'm I'm based in chilly St. Paul, Minnesota. The high temperature today is negative four. That's something folks in Southern wow. California have never uh, <laughs> experienced. But um, I, I love living here. It's great to really um, be embedded in a community that's different. A lot of people, I think, would be surprised at the culture, uh, specifically the Black folks that live here in, in, in chilly Minnesota. It's been great to really embed myself here and help folks think about um, the arts in a different way. Right. Um, being in Min Min Minnesota and, you know, dealing with what happened tragically, um, George Floyd, yeah. was there, I mean, just to, if you could just take us in, just the feeling, the atmosphere, the, the, the city, what, what, what were you feeling? What was just, what, what was happening? What was happening? Like what was going on? Just the atmosphere, the energy, everyone was, you know, upset, of course, as they should be. Yeah. Take us in what was going on and how long did it well, last? The, the biggest thing that I take away from last summer is that I will always, um, look at news coverage of things differently. So I was seeing on TV, you know, nationally, how folks were um, painting the picture of, of the rebellions following George Floyd, but living it is a completely different thing. You know, everyone can see on TV, the police station that was burning up, the target that was looted. What people don't see is the um, the lockdowns that lasted for a few weeks, you know, um, seven, eight, nine p.m. You have to be in your home and in the middle of the summer in Minnesota, nine o'clock, it's still light outside. So it really, it really feels um, restrictive, you know, driving down city blocks, even in the nicest of neighborhoods and seeing everything boarded up. I mean, every single building boarded up, uh, not being able to go shopping or, or, you know, get food, uh, takeout from fast food or a restaurant or anything, not being able to get, to get gas. Every single gas station was shut down because, you know, they were afraid of shit going on. So, that, that's that's what I think um, a lot of people don't see and don't understand. You know, I also think back, I'm old enough to remember the Rodney King riots in Los Angeles from 1992, and it was a lot of the same thing. It's one thing to see the imagery on TV, but for weeks, there were people who did not have a grocery store to go to for weeks. You know, there were, there were folks who, you know, even some folks who were going hungry and, and not to uh, you know, diminish the importance of what happened, because I believe in both circumstances, Rodney King and George Floyd, what happened is what needs to happen. And everyone can speak to how of uh, the uh, the uh, George Floyd murder reverberated in their own cities, in their own communities, you know, it became a national thing. I think the violence of racism um, and, and capitalists you know, racism driven capitalism. I think the violence that that um, has has put on so many communities of color for all these years, all these decades, it manifested in that way. It's no longer just black folks problem, brown folks problem. It's everyone's problem to deal with because this is your target that's burnt down as well. You see what I'm saying? So um, it's it's just interesting to, you know, again, to see the coverage of something on TV versus actually living it. So I will never um, look at a news story of, of something going on in another city and take that for, for the, the true perspective because being on the ground gives you something different you know stores 
that um, I shopped in on a regular basis, driving by two days later, seeing all the glass broken out, seeing how it's tore up, you know, actually physically being in that space. That is a completely different story than seeing something on, on TV and, and an experience, a time in my life that I know I will never forget. Right. And it's, it's just one of those things like, you know, I'm not really big on conspiracies, but I'm, I'm big on wanting to know the truth and, you know, exploring it as, as many ways as possible. And it was just one of those things where maybe it was just like my maturity, just, you know, stepping up a bit, but I just left it alone. You know, I did as much as I could in terms of, well, I did not post a black screen. That's for sure. I didn't do that mm-hmm. dumb shit. But, you know, just, you know, knowing you know who I am and just trying to post as many motivational, just, you know, holding together things of that nature, just, you know, using my voice to good to good purpose for good reason, you know. And I mean, what, what was what was your reaction, you know, uh, and, and I'll and, and I would love your perspective on this as well. You know, it, the, the violence of uh, the, the rebellion started here. Like uh, so George Floyd, I believe, was killed on a Monday. So that's when stuff started bubbling up Tuesday. It was really getting hot here locally. By Wednesday, it was national news. And by Saturday, by the weekend, there there was stuff going down all over the uh, all over the country. I remember sitting in front of my TV on a Saturday evening and watching Third Street Promenade in Santa Monica, you know, being looted live. I, I never thought I would see something like that. I wonder what your perspective was locally in Los Angeles. Well, at that time, I was still um, I was still with my family in Mobile, Alabama. Um, oh, wow. Mobile, Alabama. OK. And that was crazy. right? <laughs> um, came up big this time around. Um, I was just with my family, my black side of the family. And we were just talking. You know, it was a it was a we're still going through the pandemic. And it just it just that that, I guess, ignited a bit more conversation of race, of you know, being aware, you know, socially aware, things of that nature, because, you know, I, I, I do stand out, you know, amongst both sides of my family. And it was opportunity to just appreciate life, appreciate, appreciate where you're at. Maybe not, you know, even where you're at isn't even where you want to be, but you know that it could be, it's, it's better than where you were, or, you know, it's, it's not so bad. And so it, the conversations just started to have, it, it was just more of those type of conversations of life and, you know, not taking a day for granted, not taking a second for granted, you know, just talking, I started talking more to my family that I have even, you know, talked to in, in years or, yeah. you know, since I've been back, you know, it was more of those like, all right, I'm gonna come see you, I'm gonna come see you, we're gonna have a talk, we're gonna eat, or we're gonna, you know, just really embrace each other's, you know, each other's lives just to have some connection some feel you know and it's one of those things definitely at that time being like the man of the house it just gave mm-hmm. me just it, it just gave me motivation to just make sure my family as safe as like as it can be well you, you know? said the you said you know mobile alabama the black side of your family so i'm wondering what what what's what, what's the other side uh white um okay. they're, they're they're up in they're in the, they're up in the country so news for them probably didn't touch them until like the next week or something like that but so, so i wonder as as someone uh who is multiracial, you know you you definitely uh and and don't let me speak for you but it seems like you definitely have to think about the problems that are connected with being a person of color 
in the United States, but on the other hand, maybe there are privileges that that you right. have that you can lean into. I don't I don't know. Right. Um, I've definitely accepted that there is there's a chance of me having privilege that, mm-hmm. you know, my my, my um, definitely compared to, you know, my black people, that that's the thing. I've, I, I just look at it like, like, I, I guess selfishly, you know, I was like, uh, I don't feel like I have any privilege, but then if I, if I look at someone else that has none, yeah, it, it, it's a different story. So it's, it's one of those things definitely as I was learning and maturing a bit more, like just, just accepting it. You know, if, if I, I can, I can go outside and pass a police officer and, you know, likely more, you know, more likely than not, I'm not going to, you know, start having an anxiety attack or I'm not going right. to start panicking. That's happened a few times, but just like definitely like during the night, you know, not not like during the day or anything. It, it, it's just one of those things where, you know, it it it's just started me. It just it made me start thinking more, you know, that 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 was it was just it was just so surprising because Kobe had died you right. know, on, you know, in January and then we had COVID and then we had this. And it was just a a a life of events, just a, a swirl of events. I'm like, when is it gonna end? Is it only gonna get worse? You know, because that's just it was just what May. It was like April, May is just like we're not even in the summer just yet. Yeah. And it just got it just had me started to think about life a bit more, and it, it motivated me for sure. You know, and it it brought I think it brought my family a bit more closer, as I I think is it as it should you know the the year before you know my my uncle had passed away and that really enabled me even if I didn't want to Mm -hmm. even if I didn't think I was ready to be the man of the house to be the one bearing you know a a big load of the responsibility you know to compare like LeBron you got points you know rebounding assists blocking defense it just my my workload just increased and I had to I had to take that you know and you know, I, I was willingly too. And it's one of those things where I, I notice about death. I don't, I don't like, I don't like what death does. You know, death, death gave me a new suit. You know, I don't wear new suits. Yeah. I don't wear suits like that. Death, yeah. ga- death is the reason why I had this new, this article of clothing. That mm, costed, that's that interesting. I costed, you know, X amount of money. You know, death, death gave me a new, a new living space. Death gave me more more space than I thought I need you know it, it just it just gave me so much that I, I didn't feel comfortable accepting I didn't feel comfortable knowing you know when people die it, it gave me a, a bunch of new clothing you know uh, see if this fits see if you know he's, he's he's no longer here see if this fits for you you know what I mean see you see if this the cologne the the watch those those type of things you know, yeah. was I willing um, to take it? Yeah, because ain't, ain't nobody else going to, like, I'm not saying ain't nobody else, but that's my uncle, you know? Yeah. I, I, if someone's going to take it and take good care of it, I'm going to do that. And, you know, there's you know? also a responsibility behind that. You just can't go yeah. shit on those gifts that right. you received, you know, from, from your family member. You you have a responsibility to, you know, make sure you're using those tools, those clothings, this new space, 
that you've gotten, whatever, to the the best you can to multiply it into yeah. you know something something good. We you know I, I mentioned Nietzsche and uh, Buddhism earlier. You know the the symbol of Buddhism is the lotus flower because it's a flower that seeds and um, flowers blooms at the same time, you know, back to the cause and effect, you know, everything being connected. So if that cause, you know, your uh, family member's death resulted in this, you know, what greater effect can there be if you take all of this, everything that you've been given and plant that seed or do whatever right. you can to really extend that positive energy? It's a beautiful thing. Death is only temporary. Death is something that we only experience for a short time, but what's left is what's eternal, you know, the legacy and what you're doing with the legacy that he left. And I, I do believe everything is said to be true. And, and it's one of those things where, you know, we, I feel like we all think we're, we're going to real live forever, anything like that. And I think it's possible. You know, I, I started thinking about it and maybe not in the physical sense, we'll live mm -hmm. forever, of course, but we still know George Washington. <laughs> we still and, know. But, but that's, but that's due to certain structures. That's due to certain white centered structures that make sure that we know him. Everybody knows George Washington, mm -hmm. but does everyone know George Washington Carver, exactly. for example, you know, we're here in the middle of black history month. So, you know, there, there are structures there that keep, that keep that uh, sort of, sort of activity going through the generations. But I think we're getting toward the end of that. I, I think we're getting close. And I think, we, I think we are too, definitely with the power that we have. I oh, think yeah. we just unlocked like a new, a new level to it. And exactly to what you were saying and to what I was saying, like we, we still know who this man is after hundreds of years. Fortunately for us, we know who George Carver is. You know, he's created a lot of what we have today, you know, due to, you know, peanuts and, yeah, you know, peanut and, butter, and other things, paste, yeah. soap, all that, all that necessity stuff too. And it's, it's within our community that we know and we uplift these, these creators, these innovators, these legends, these, these people, you know, it's, it's going to be within our community. I'd yeah. rather be, I'd rather be known for, for, for who I was from the people I was with, from the people that I represented from the people that, you know, embraced me, you know what I mean? And it's, it's up to us to, I feel like, I feel like, it, it is up to us to educate those that are ignorant. You know, I've, I, it's, it's, it's a back and forth. You know, I, I see some black people say it, you know, stay out of this conversation. You know, you're white, stay out of this conversation. Then there's some black people that saying, well, say we that to you, know. you know? Yeah, um, it, it's happened. You know, I, I definitely like definitely um, not, not so much being in L.A. because L.A. is very diverse. It's, right. it's chill, but definitely being back. And in Mobile, Alabama, when I was growing up, I didn't, I, I had it really bad. I'm not going to lie to you. Definitely sure. going through middle school, you know, um, pretty much all my life um, from, from elementary to middle school up to the sixth grade, um, it was, it was me that was the widest thing in the room. room. If, if it wasn't the teacher, you know, more likely not, you know, there'd be a few, there, there were white, you know, female teachers and but besides like students, I was like the, I was the white kid, you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. It, well, you know, oppressed, uh, the, the, it's easy for the oppressed to become the oppressor, as many people have said, but you know, it's all about how we react to that and what we do with, with those experiences, you know, just going and cussing them out 
is it going to bring them, you know, to something greater, some some thought process that's going to elevate their understanding of who you are and what you have to offer to the world? It's a it's a it's a two way road. And to harbor on that point, that's something I don't know why at that age I kind of felt like that. Like I felt with knowing the struggle of black people and these were just kids at the end of yeah. the day. You know, I was like they're a product of their environment, what they see what they feel, what they know, what, what's being taught in the household, that all that energy is being put into them. And so when they do see the closest target, you know, because they, they, of course, they'd be disobedient and lash out on a Black teacher, but they never try the things they want to try on a teacher if they can do it to a student, you know? Exactly. And so I kind of been, you know, it wasn't even about who I was or where I came from. It just what they saw. And so I, I dealt with that for like a year and it just it just that that was the moment of just awakening how people are, how people are going to be and how messed up the system is, how messed up life can be that even the kids are being put into this, you know, just feeling these feelings already, you know, and having this type of energy every time they wake up and they see a white person, they just you know, just wanting to threat, wanting to hurt. And, you know, when you mentioned about the rioting and the looting, I, I don't, I say, go for it. Get the, get the, I mean, nice you know, do, I, mean I don't know. I don't know who listens to this, but as, as I said earlier, what, what happened is what needed to be done. The issue needed to be real enough for them to actually see it and mm-hmm. feel it. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, I believe, talked about, you know, uh, the protests being the 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 voice of, of those unheard. Or, you know, I'm I'm paraphrasing there, but what 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 needed to be done was was done, if you ask me. Yeah, I'm, because... I, I didn't get in on the action myself, but, you know. <laughs> and um, I may have to edit. Take Adidas, okay? Because with Nike, I'm trying to get in business with them. So take the Adidas. You make sure I'm taking the Adidas track suits, not not Nike. All right, I'm phony. I, I admit that I'm phony. <laughs> but I do have a question though. Just in regards of for us by us, why don't we? Why aren't we? I mean, of course, you know, social media and things of that nature. It appears, you know, we can have those looks. But why does it seem like in comparison of of Gucci, Louis Vuitton, things of that nature. With their, I mean, they've done it plenty of times. And as, as a, you know, a few years ago, the, 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 just the graphic tees or the t-shirts just being openly racism or openly yep. racist and, you know, discriminatory. Why do we continue to support and buy their brands? Because it seems like, all right, like the thing at, at Starbucks, you know, we're, we're boycott for like two weeks and then we'd be we peek outside outside the window. Like, uh, can we go back? Is it good? Why do we continue to put money in the places that really don't care about us, really don't respect us? My opinion and no shade, you know, all respect to anybody who goes and and buys that stuff. Do it. Do what you do. You know, I, I feel like especially black folks to work hard and to be the first in a generation to really have some money to do something with. If those people want to go splurge and, and buy whatever, more power to them is what I say. And I think that it's a, an issue of never having had some of those things before. Um, you know, if 
if something happens and and I have some kids running around somewhere, there are certain things that they will be used to, you know, that I was not used to growing up and certainly uh, right. not my parents. So the need to, you know, buy certain things or or to or to do certain things won't be there. I think for a lot of black folks um, that are rich today, they are the first in their generation to really be that. So they're embracing what it means to enjoy the so-called finer, finer things in life. Of course, we can get into, uh, you know, the conditioning there, you know, really training us to, to be a part of, you know, buying all of these expensive brands and, you know, giving, giving the money back to the white folks. You know, they talk about yeah. how the black dollar does not stay in the black community among black people for, for very long. I think, you know, slowly some of the rich folks, the rappers, I think can be a great example to do, to really begin, um, that movement. I think Hove, you know, always is uh, wearing a, a black designer or somebody. I think he's there, you know, as far as really supporting black. Um, mm -hmm. I think more of us need to need to get there. It'll happen. I think it'll happen with a little more time. And with Hove, I felt definitely from um, being in the South and living mm -hmm. in L.A., Hove doesn't get a lot of plays. You know, maybe the OGs, like the older folks there, they, they got Hove. But I've I've noticed that the trend is definitely that down, I mean I live in Texas. Texas favorite artist was NBA Youngboy, and you couldn't tell really? no one. Yeah, I mean, is they, this radio? Have, not radio, but more of like YouTube. Um, oh, I see. Okay. You know, um, DSPs. Yeah. Because I don't. Who listens to the radio? You know, what I mean, definitely for music. You know, um, def, you know, I, I'm a big Spotify person, so I got I got um Spotify Premium. I just got all the music I like. You know, no ads, no nothing like that. Yeah. But you know, um. It just feels like, you know, the the newer generation, you know, young boy, the baby, um, you know, people like them, you know, they do have a powerful voice, you know, definitely amongst the the youth. And I feel like if they to listen to or to to watch Hove's game plan, or mm -hmm. maybe like a Drake or be you know Beyonce, the the OGs who's been in it for for years, you know, it'd be a trickle down effect because, like you said, with Hove. You know, he's mostly wearing black designer, you know, Beyonce, I'm sure she's doing the same thing. You know, they're they're hip hop royalty, of course. And I just I just feel like because Hove doesn't always say it publicly, isn't always out publicly, isn't, you know, on IG flash and stuff like that. You know, it kind of invalidates him from any conversation. You know, who who's listening to Hove? Why, why would we listen to Hove? Why would we care what he says? I wouldn't say it, I wouldn't say it invalidates him. I think I just think he is one of the folks in a different uh, arena. You know, the baby and NBA young boy and those folks definitely have communities. They have an audience and that audience might not necessarily care about, you know, what Jay-Z has done because they weren't here for it. You know, uh, again, you know, I remember when Jay-Z um, and again, you know, no shade at all. But I remember when Jay-Z was just among the rappers that they were putting on the radio and then right. you know as the years went by obviously he you know uh grew beyond what so many other people could have ever dreamed to do certainly considering where he came from so i i, I wouldn't say it's invalidating i just say that those um, the younger artists just have a different audience and and they have a responsibility there i hope that yeah. 
you know, these, these, all these lulls can, you know, inspire the next generation, generation Z and beyond to, to do more. I think about, um, you know, when I was a little kid listening to hip hop, I remember uh, Saturday mornings turning on the TV with the music videos. It was a lot of Naughty by Nature. It was a lot of Queen Latifah and all those folks. And yeah, there was the money about the, the money, the uh, the songs about OPP and all that sort of stuff. But there was also the mission, you know, hip hop as a part of the continued continued struggle all the way back to the Negro spiritual from the plantation, you know, and I, and I want to see more um, artists, not just in hip hop, but across the board. If, if you know, back, back to my uh, corner of, of the music industry, even black folks in classical music, you know, mm -hmm. I think have a, a responsibility to continue in, in that struggle and continue in that fight. And many people are, it's not, it's not non-existent. There, there are folks in every corner uh, of, of black culture continuing that. I just hope to see more of it, especially from the younger generation because we have to we have to keep it going we're we're just getting started yeah, exactly and we're just getting started and it's important to to acknowledge and feel good about those small wins i feel like definitely socially with everything that's happening you know once we get just a, a like you said about and we mentioned about not having those things as a younger kid when we finally do have the opportunity to get it you know we just go for it you know, I've, I've, because we never had that feeling. And so it's it's important that when we do get a win, either large or, win, or, or, or little, it's good to take it, but we can't take our, our foot off the gas. Right, because exactly. Once we, because you, there's nothing that can be just fixed in one day, in one legislation, in one law. We're talking about hundreds of years of mistakes that needs to be corrected. 400 plus right exactly plus that needs to be corrected that needs to be acknowledged that needs to be put to people's intentions attention you know and music can be a part of that because music has always yeah. been a part of that struggle always mm -hmm. since the beginning and um just to speak a bit more about our music what are your top five genres of music and top five artists so the biggest thing about my work, certainly my podcast, but my work in general, is that we're breaking down that phrase classical music. So when I think about music that's classic, that's that's far beyond just the orchestral music of Western Europe. Right. You know, there's classic jazz, there's classic hip hop, there's mm -hmm. classic um, country. You know, they're all of these things. So when I um, affirm classical music as my number one genre, I'm thinking about any music, any music that is foundational to the aesthetic of a culture. What, what does that mean? That means there are Mozart operas that are love that, that I love. That means um, Beyonce's early tracks, you know, date, uh, crazy in love, you know, as her, you know, uh, opus one, as far as many people would, would say, that is a classic composition that I love. Even when we get into, you know, some of the so-called, the real so-called white folks music, uh, the rock and all of that, um, the band Queen is a, is a group that I really love, you know, mm -hmm. uh, re rest in peace to Freddie Mercury and so many of those classic works. So I just want to lay that out first, you know, so I, I would definitely put classical as my number one um, genre or classic music. Beyond that, obviously, uh, number two is hip hop. I've been, you know, listening to to that for you know since since I was a little kid. Um, mm -hmm. Traveling outside of those two genres, 
Um, I really enjoy pop. However, you know, you want to describe that. I, I had some uh, some uh, Lady Gaga on uh, some deep track Lady Gaga on earlier today. And then, you know, beyond that, after we're done with uh, classical um, hip hop and pop, I spent a lot of time listening to uh, what folks would consider world music, music that I would consider classical, but I'm talking about like African drums and um, South Indian Vina. And I have some um, some music from Tonga. I don't know if you've uh, heard of Tonga, but I have some Tonganese music that I have to uh, get into today for a special assignment. So it's, it's really a bit of everywhere. I try to give everything um, a bit of room. There's even a little bit of country that I'll get into, you know, shout out to Dolly Parton from East Tennessee, my, oh, yeah. my home state. So yeah, it, it, it's everywhere. As far as artists, um, it's, it's that, that's a tough one. And when, when we talk about specific artists, I tend to lean on hip hop, rap and R&B because, you know, that, that's where that sort of fame matters. Uh, mm -hmm. My number one is Beyonce has been since I was, you know, a middle school student way back in the Destiny's Child days, I was a stand. So Beyonce is number one. I, um, I put Drake as number two. I always talk about Drake as my favorite male rapper. I, mm -hmm. I, it really pisses me off when I hear folks talk about their uh, female rappers or favorite female rappers. I think that's othering in a way that we need to get out of here. So uh, I, I, to respond to that, I, I call Drake my favorite male rapper. <laughs> he's, gotcha. he's number two. Um, I will always have to have Nicki somewhere in my top five. Uh, Nicki Minaj was my re-entry back um, into hip hop rap specifically, you know, after spending so many years in school and really grinding in the uh, field of classical music, like I did, you know, hearing her rise up first through the features and then her own and the mixtapes and then through her, you know, own projects was really how I got back into listening to hip hop. So um, I will, I will definitely put Nicki there. And um, beyond those three, um, you know, I'm listening to um, a lot of Megan Thee Stallion, as a lot of people are. Uh, I've been a huge fan of Tyler, the creator for many for many years. I think um, an artist whose name we don't say nearly enough, you know, based on just the depth of his work, music uh, and beyond. Um, and then, you know, there are there there are several other folks that that uh, come through and I'm, I'm sure I've left out somebody that I love and, and listen to all the time. But, yeah, th th those are the ones that, that that I would put up there. Beyonce, Drake, um, Nikki, uh, Tyler and uh, an honorable mention to Megan The Stallion since she's been doing some great things these past couple of years. Of course, she has. Shout out to all of those wonderful artists, definitely to um to Magda Stallion, you know, her her most recent success as an artist, as a brand, her name, all of her music, it just it just hits. Who's in your who's in your top five that I did not mention? Who, who who's who's a strong top five for you that we haven't talked about? Um Jay, well, you know, we talked about Ho, but not in the musical sense, but Jay-Z for sure. Yeah. He's he's a newly entered top five because I've only been listening to him like strongly like dedicated like as a fan for four year um only for one year wow so you came in after 444 because that was a couple of yeah. years ago now at that point wow okay 444 dropped in um july um in 2017 i wasn't listening to ho because ho wasn't on spotify until he dropped until his his most um until his birthday which is in december he he put all of his music on like all the all the rest of the DSPs instead you, of you weren't title. gonna you weren't gonna pay for title oh no I'm I'm I, 
No, nah, they're not okay, going to catch okay, me. But see, but see, now I got to now I got to get you now because you you can't talk about not buying Gucci and Louie and all of that stuff and then not talk about not supporting the black DSPs. You know, I was I was there on day one with title. I I'm, I support everything black. I think we all got to do that. I, I think for me, it was a matter of. I've, I've known this one place for so many sure. times. And it's like, all right, am I really going to, you know, branch out? And for this one person that I've yet to listen to, am I really going to make it, you know, take it for all of, you know, just from one person? And I, I started to do more research. I wasn't so, you know, acquainted with what title was and what it was for the artists or what it was for the consumers. Right. You know, I understand like, definitely for the artists, it's more equal and in regards of like equity, equity and things of that nature. But I wasn't so familiar with definitely, you know, 17, 16, 15 around, you know, it's, it's been around for a few years. I just wasn't so acquainted with it. But in regards of Spotify, I'm more used, I'm just more used to it. And it, it was just a, it was a blessing for Hope to have done that. I don't know what made him do it for him to drop all of his discography on Spotify. You know, volume one, two, and three, American Gangster. You got, you know, Blueprint one, two, and three. You got four, four, four. You know, and you're talking about classic compositions. Mm-hmm. Back to, you know, my challenge of that phrase, classical music. In mm-hmm. 50 years and 100 years, when we're talking about classical American music, we're going to be talking about Hove. And mm-hmm. I think we need to get that in motion now. Um, starting with supporting each other and and getting title. I, I, I think it's great that he's on Spotify. I'm not saying everybody has to go out and run and get title right now because maybe everybody doesn't have that $13 or whatever it is a month. Mm-hmm. You know, what I am saying is that we need to get more accustomed to thinking about supporting one another first and thinking about these other things second. And I think it takes, uh, it takes, taking a chance on someone, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, we're taking a chance on, you know, you know, paying for this service to someone that we've never met personally. Well, not yet, you know, sure. but you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's definitely when you're selling something, what can it be done for the, the consumer? And that's definitely something I've been learning and what I've been trying to go through and find the best solution for. And and it's all it's all cyclical. Think about the folks who took a chance on you in some way. We, I think we can all name those people who didn't have to give us a chance, but they did anyway. So why not make a practice out of doing that for each other? Yeah. And I, I, I like I stay with the names of everyone who didn't, everyone who has done. And I, I reassure the people who have done take a chance on me, definitely if it's at work or, you know, in the space that I am now, like still to this day like thank you like really like i just like get back into it like this was happening this all and that and t- it took all of this like i real for the rest of my life like i'm gonna appreciate this offer this opportunity and you know i'm glad i, I capitalized on it yeah but yeah absolutely i noticed like definitely on like black twitter or whatnot you know there there'd be a tweet here and there like I love supporting my black owned businesses, but y'all really be tripping with the $45 and all that shipping in the hand and all that type of stuff. What, what do you say about that? How do you, how, how does that make you feel? Well, the nuts and bolts of it is that these large organizations like Amazon are so big that they can undercut and get products that are cheaper and, and, uh, and tie in shipping and all that. So it looks like it's less expensive, but what I think people don't, 
think about is that you're always paying in some way and it's not necessarily just money. So it might be cheaper to get it from Amazon, but it also might be violent to whatever factory that item came from or all of these workers that they have in these uh, in these warehouses where they're not being treated right and hardly uh, getting paid. So, I mean, yeah, and and my, maybe my values are just different from other people. But, you know, what I say is if I have the opportunity to support a black creator, a black business owner, what is my reason not to? If I have the ability to pay that forty five dollars shipping and handling or, or or whatever, why not do that? You know, should, do I really want to give that forty five dollars to somebody else, you know, or do I want right. to you know support our people? So I think it's I think it's a culture shift. I think it's a, a difference in, in, in thinking and, you know, putting other things in front of money. You know, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about, um, you know, I, I've always been an anti-capitalist in many ways, but after watching Judas and the Black Messiah last night, you know, I'm thinking about some of those early critiques of that, you know, how so many of the ancestors, foremothers and, and forefathers, including Fred Hampton, you know, their critique of this, this capitalist system that has proven to us since the beginning not to work for black and brown folks. It was built on slavery. And since then, you know, we have anomalies like Hove, like Beyonce, who are able to get on and become rich. But for the vast majority of us, you know, black, white and everything in between, um, it's just living to your next paycheck. I, I am so grateful to be able to, you know, run my business and, and, and have what I have to maintain and stay afloat. But I think, uh, I, I think we need to, you know, begin to look at that as a culture, how dangerous capitalism has really been to us and how we can use something else to benefit, not some of us, but all of us. And that's a good point when you mentioned about hope, because a, a lot of people critique or <clears throat> when I see it on the web of some of his critiques is that he is a capitalist, that he is you know, someone that's not to be trusted because he hangs because of the the group that he associates himself with. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I feel like, and some point when you're that successful of a businessman, I, I mean, I, I I try not to look we, at. We we needed we I think we needed to see Hove do what he did. It hadn't happened before, certainly not like that. Uh, and not that there's something to prove, but I think it just lays the groundwork again for what is possible. If somebody from the projects can become one of the richest people and one of the most impactful people in the world and be married to one of the most impactful and important people in the world, you know, that shows us that each and every one of us could come up. You know, it's it's it, it can it can really think not all of us will have a mansion because not all of us need a mansion, you know, but we will we will all be able to live and sustain and, and find joy in the same ways that they have. So I think, you know, the aspiration can't be the riches. It has to be the lifestyle and a happy lifestyle um, isn't necessarily a co-requisite with wealth. And one thing he's always done was lay the blueprint, you know, that's one yeah. thing he's always done. To, I just, I just love listening to that, that album and his body of work. Definitely with 444, you oh, know, yeah. 444 is my favorite. Oh, yeah. 444 is it's just my favorite album I, I love a 10 song project i'm not a i mean even being a drake fan i'm uh scorpion could have been way way condensed than what it was scorpion is my favorite album and i love it front to back i have the vinyl that i put uh-huh. on maybe twice a week i love that i love the b-side well the the vinyl i think is two vinyls but you know what i'm talking about the b-side you know when it gets into that slower stuff and those those features i i I love that aesthetic Mm -hmm. i understand that 
a lot of folks like you know earlier uh or earlier drake you know mm-hmm. and and i think it's important but for me personally i mean i already told you that emotionless i think is yeah. my favorite Drake. it's hard to pick a favorite but that's mm-hmm. the one that comes to my mind and that of course is on scorpion um my only critique of of scorpion i wish legend was the opener for scorpion I think if that were the case, it would be now the 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 Scorpion opener is great, but uh, Le- Legend is my favorite Drake opener, and I think if that were at the beginning of Scorpion, Matt, wow, that would be a masterpiece. But yeah, I know I'm different. I know I'm different than the other fans. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely. I mean, he he has a reputation of just having great intros, you know. But with um Hove, then we get onto Drake because who who doesn't like getting onto Drake? The two great, the two greats, yeah. Oh, he's just, you know, I put him into my newly top five because it was a point when I started, like, I, it, I don't know, it was, it was, a, it was, a, it was a lot of things that got me into it, but, like, I just stopped enjoying writing music, and then I, I, I went back into typing music on my phone, and then I just stopped enjoying that, and so after a while, I'm just, like, freestyling ideas freestyling you know lyrics and then you know i remember them remember them and then put on my phone but hove really got me into like you know just going off the dome because i was like okay it's cool to like it's it's one of those things of being like they there's two genius in the room you know one that i give him some time and he's gonna get it you know a math a math equation he's gonna get the math equation versus someone that can well, you carry the two and then you multiply that. Yeah. And it's like one of two different things, both great, but the, the methods of getting it done, one is just so beyond the other one. And then I mean, it's, like, it's the same. And back to my corner of the music industry, it's the same as improvisation versus music being written down as somebody who is classically trained you know i'm 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 great with looking at the score to whatever and 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 really putting it down there are other musicians who are just completely great at improv and you know that version of freestyle and you know the instrumental right. version and and both are important both both are both both are needed you're correct someone that you didn't say and i thought you was i, I okay. should have said is print you give Prince. me yeah you give me maybe it's, it's also it's because it's, i live in minnesota huh <laughs> the, the, the 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 soft elegant voice but i was really expecting to like you said to you've said Prince. that a, you've said that a few times and i think that speaks to, uh, as far as my being soft-spoken and maybe that speaks to you know the differences in the industry because on the classic in the classical world i'm the one who's loud i'm the one who they try mm. to you know shut up but you know, I'm sure in hip hop, it's a, you know, I'm, I'm a little more whatever, but yeah, Prince, that's interesting. I grew up, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up down South in Memphis and there always seems to be these Prince versus Michael arguments. Mm-hmm. Well, I very much grew up in a Michael household and, and, and it wasn't just me. It was my mom from um, an early age loving the Jackson five. And, you know, she tells a story about how when she was in third grade, um, she was able to go to a Jackson five concert down in uh, down in Memphis, so of course that goes up into um, the '90s, and 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 my mom especially uh, not only loved Michael but loved Janet. So we spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time as a kid listening to her listen to that music, and I was always aware of Prince, but Prince wasn't necessarily 
the one that we would go to. Maybe my dad is more of the Prince fan, but when it comes to Prince versus Michael, I'm definitely on the Michael side. I'm, I'm catching up with Prince. You know, I did the tour of uh, Paisley Park, you know, the, the VIP. You know, I'm always interested in learning about the music around me. You know, he was a, an incredible musician far beyond Michael. I, I will go as far as to say, but as far as what I'm familiar with and what I'm most nostalgic about between the two, I'm definitely on the Michael side. And you, you, you hit another great point about um, the differences between Michael and Prince, yeah. and that's something um, I've, I've, I've taken consideration with. You know, Michael being pop, Michael being, you know, just in that in that lane. You got the music videos, you got the all this type of things. You have the pop scene, and then Prince being just music mu- musically trained. You know, right, and and, and having he, such an a big influence on other artists, you know, mm-hmm. that, that musicality going through them. And I think <clears throat> you, you hear uh, Prince's legacy there, but again, on the other side, I think Michael was more open to different types of collaborations and, and different sorts of things, you know, going back quickly to Scorpion, you know, Michael Jackson is mm. on that album, right? Yeah, he and is. That, that, that's another one of my favorite songs don't matter to me. So I don't know if, Prince would have ever gone into a studio and and sound not being used and you know the estate allowing it to be um infused sample for this hip-hop track I'm not sure if that could have happened on the Prince side you know so that, that that's just another way to mark their differences but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you and a lot of people don't realize this one of my main bones to pick with Prince even you know in death uh when I was in high school maybe this was 2000. I don't know, 2002, 2003, uh, the group Three Six Mafia. I don't know if you're familiar, uh, okay. you know, straight straight out of Memphis, 901, won an Academy Award for the song It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp, you know, for, for the movie Hustle and Flow. Um, you know, and that's a big deal, not only for hip hop, but especially for a Memphis hip hop group to be leaving, not with a gram, you know, not to compare the awards, but but not with a Grammy, but with an Oscar, with an Academy Award, you know, this is something of some real white prestige here, you know, mm-hmm. so they, they have that. And, uh, and I say white prestige, because I don't, ag- I don't agree with measuring our success by those awards and, and that sort of thing, you know, but, but even so, it's, it's a moment, it, it was definitely a moment. So 36 Mafia, you know, in an interview afterwards, they talk about how, within those crowds of all those Oscar people, you know, tuxedos and everything, they had just won this award and can't find an after party to go to. You know, these folks will say, oh, they're not dressed appropriately. Or these folks will say, oh, it's a private gathering or whatever. Well, toward the end of the night, they finally got to Prince's after party and Mm. apparently Prince would not let them in, you know, and I think it speaks to what Prince really thought about hip hop, what he thought about rap, maybe that would have evolved if he lived a little bit longer. But uh, when we talk about Prince, I can't help but to think about that either. I really appreciate the platform that he gave to things like Black Lives Matter. I think Prince could have had an even bigger footprint if his opinions, if his understanding on the purpose of hip hop were a uh, a little more to the front. I understand that, I respect that. I think Prince definitely has always had such an elite and high standards right. on everything, which is good, you know, because the, the standard was was high. Mm-hmm. But you gotta you gotta respect rap. You gotta respect yeah. rap. You gotta at least be able to be be more open to it and understand 
you know, just be able to be able to have understand where it's going, the transitioning that it's you know that it's headed towards. Right. I think, you know, when I think about my music ability and my, like my art, I often ask myself, would I be someone that Prince would acknowledge? Would I be someone that Prince probably would not? <laughs> no shade. <laughs> and you know what? I tell myself that too, just to get me, just to just to motivate me, just to have me yeah. a bit uh, motivated, so I could you know, work as hard, you know, work, work as hard to maybe one day I would be in a position to say, you know what, I think he would, you know, yeah. but I mean, I'm, I have a long way to go from there, but we all I, do like <laughs> exactly. And I think um, with Prince, you know, rest, you know, rest in peace. I, I like how Hove, he mentioned that in, um, in one of his songs where, you know, they, they sold tickets to walk through his house, you right. know, and he wouldn't be surprised. And they're, they, and they're not cheap. I'll tell yeah. you, <laughs> it, costs, it costs a coin to do that. And it's just, you know, one of those things where, you know, I think, yeah, Prince was going to give Hove his catalog and put it on title. You know, those two were um, just tight knit and like in business and stuff like that. And, you know, unfortunately, um, he had passed away. But I did not know Prince had he has over like 25 albums. I mean, it's it's like, it's incredible. It's incredible like it the amount of music he put out and even the, the music he didn't put out. And mm. on top of that, yes. you know, you can't sleep on the fact that there was Purple Rain and these other mm. films that he produced. So, right. you know, in, 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 in incredible talent. I, I, I will never uh, say an ill word about Prince other than the fact that I wish that he, you know, had had some more outward respect for hip hop. Now, with, you know, the harping back on just more the African-American community, one thing that I've taken, you know, very seriously since I've started, you know, working is mental health and being a voice for that, being more aware and wanting to see, you know, my African-American people, you know, have better mental health. And one thing that I'm I'm, um, working with is um, betterhelp.com. Mm-hmm. BetterHelp.com is completely um, digital. You know, it is you don't it doesn't require you going to like a therapist, uh, like a original or, you know, a usual therapist face to face. You can do it through the phone, you know, via text, calling, FaceTime, email, things of that nature. You, you keep in touch throughout the week. You know, you get billed every every four weeks, you know, and it's completely it's it's cheaper than doing it you know, a 270 session or a 150 session every time, you know, and it's one of those things that I think definitely with, you know, us being still locked in the lockdown, we have the opportunity to either grow and find things about ourselves or let what's going on affect us and, you know, unfortunately depress us or give us anxiety and things of that nature. And betterhelp.com has really been something that just just knowing that there's an online resource for, you know, mental health. And it's not even just about mental health. There's things, you know, you mentioned about, you know, with your religion. There's things if you need to talk about your religion, get some things off on that. There is, you know, there's there's things about your sexuality, you know, maybe trying to figure that out. There is that. There's, you know, with family issues, you know, household issues. Yeah. There's there's a plethora of things that we are all in need of, you know, guidance and help. And they have a plethora of just resources and counselors and therapists to to get you to where you need to be, you know. If that was an ad, beautiful job. Great finesse. 
Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's um, they need to it, call me too. We do underwriters as well. <laughs> it, it's, it's a blessing to be in just even the conversation to it, with them. You know, I, I, I emailed them as I saw Tawaji P. Henson uh, and yeah. a video on her and she mentioned about it. And I was like, I've, I've been doing this. I've been having, I've been mentioning them way before um, they, they, we've gotten in contact with each other and they put me in, in the situation or position I am now. And it's just one of those things where I want to take this a bit more seriously. So I need to really contact them and see what we can do. But I, I just love seeing these type of, these type of online resources because it gives us, it, it, it gives us nothing to make an excuse about, you know right. what I mean? And one thing, you know, one thing about my, you know, one thing about my dad, he's always been very adamant and consistent on is, you know, no excuses, none whatsoever. There's nothing, there's no reason for you not to be able to do this. There's no reason for you not to be able to take care of this and, you know, do that and, you know, moving forward. But I, I think it's, it's all on us, you know, but with African-Americans specifically, and I hate, I hate being that guy, you know, because I, I, I hate having to, you know, I feel like we can't move forward if you're always talking about the past, you know what I mean? Right. But, but you have to, but you have to understand it. But you got to right? understand we, it. We all know what Rafiki said on Lion King. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's, it's just one of those things where we, we got to continue to, we got to talk about it. We got to open up. We got to be just understandings. Everyone yeah. has to have a clear understanding. And I yeah. feel like even from, you know, from the days of slavery, just working against our will, working in a, in a, in a corrupt system, working with no breaks, really, unless it was death or sleep, if we were granted that, you know, if it sounds feels, a lot like today, doesn't it? And not exactly, to compare slavery to anything, no, but no, there are definitely you're, comparisons. You're exactly right. And it's one of those things where, you know, and there's no shades of white people, but we aren't granted the, oh, I'm just looking for myself. I'm going to go travel to Europe. I, I need to go find myself. You know, we're not granted the, oh, he was just having a moment. You know, he was just lashing out. He was just, you know, Todd was just, you know, he's just been so overwhelmed. Not Todd. <laughs> you, know, you, you know how Philip gets, you know, when he doesn't have his, you know, gluten-free breakfast and his, you know, his, you know what I mean? Like, we don't get yep. that. We don't get those things. And I don't think we need it. You know what I mean? That's what makes us great because we, we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're not handheld like that. But we're... Well, you got to think of, you got to think about the spaces in which those things happen. What the spaces in which Todd, as you say, is being given a break or Philip are spaces mm -hmm. that are not going to give us a break. So what that says to me is that we have to figure out how to build the foundations of those spaces that are ours. So we don't right. have to deal with that sort of violence. And I'm, that's not me trying to be a separatist. It's just me, you know, using the past and even using the present as a clear a view of what is required for, for black and brown folks to have those safe spaces. And, and even within those spaces, there, there are challenges. Every black queer person has a story about how black folks ain't shit when it comes to the LGBT IA uh, plus community, you know, mm -hmm. and, and not to not to make that blanket statement, but, you know, just to make the point that we have to get closer and closer to finding those safe spaces for ourselves. And what I think that is gonna require 
in many ways is building spaces that are specifically for us. Now there is reform and all of that sort of thing that can happen, you know, bringing, you know, bringing Hove back into it. Uh, everyone had an opinion with his uh, NFL collaboration, some good, some bad. I think we need um, everyone in as many places as possible. And, um, and that's another good point. And we'll get to Hove again. We're the Hovengers now, huh? Oh, the, I don't know. I we're don't the know. new Hovengers. <laughs> no, yeah, no. <laughs> JP, JBP who, you know? Um, you're, you're exactly right. I feel like, you know, in safe spaces, whether it be a, a room, maybe a safe space is a, a, a library, very quiet, very, you know, down to earth whatever yeah. a safe space it may could be, be. A, it could be a zoom session or a clubhouse room anything exactly you know something quiet just like just like this 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 could be granted as a safe space you know it's one of those things where you know just to harping back to my dad always instilling no excuses we just and definitely doing with quarantine so many people have found out so much about themselves you know they 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 rent out and did it yeah. Well, they stayed in and did it. That's the crazy thing. They stayed in the house and did this. It is about taking a chance. It is about having a desire to be better. It is having a desire to, you know, not let anything and not letting ourselves be the reason for not growing, for the reason, you know, not to be successful or to be better. That's the most important thing. And it's one of those things where maybe we're, we're, we just don't have enough of uh, the the representation from the the mainstream artists yeah you know because i i get it you know who okay who am i you know but if we get a taraji p henson if we get someone that's well known as of right now to saying that then we're gonna have a bit more you know um steam you know we have a bit more momentum on that type of thing it's but also it's just, about defining what you think it or what a person considers better, because what is mm. better for me, what is elevation for me might not be the same for you, might not be the same for Hove or Drake or Beyonce or anybody. So we, I, I think, you know, among everything that you're saying, it's also that idea of of staying focused, you know, con mm. to bring another rapper into the conversation, Let's talk con about him. you know, yeah, he he, he said on uh, what track is that one of those uh, tunes from Jesus is King. I'm not mean, I'm just focused, you know, and I think a lot of folks don't have that focus. We're so busy, um, you know, as it's been said a thousand times before me, you know, paying attention to what everybody else has and, and what they're doing. I think comparison is important in many ways, but I think it's also important for us to really figure out what elevation, what betterment means for each of us personally and individually, mm -hmm. because it's as individual as we are people. I think better is, or, you know, having better help or being better is taking what was, you know, going against us, what was yeah. in front of us and breaking apart, no longer being a, a reason of holding us back or a reason of, you know, threatening us. Or I think that's what it means to find something that, or to, you know, be, to be better is, to break down the obstacle, you know, go through the obstacle. That's what I think, you know, and learning right. and learning from those obstacles and applying them so that you can be better as Jay, exactly. you know, Jay-Z famously said, I'm getting better, right? That comes exactly. from obstacle that comes from trial and error that comes from sacrifice. And you mentioned, yeah. And uh, to, to talk about representation, I, if, you know, I think we all have anxiety and we all have a certain bounce for, you know, these things, but I, I, I wouldn't want a Drake or someone who isn't, 
well known of having certain things, certain of these things, you know, I would I would feel a bit more comfortable if VA said it because we've seen it loud and maybe not so proud, but we've seen it loud in front of our faces. His his spouse with bipolar disorder, right? Um, anxiety right. and things of that nature. I would feel I would feel a bit more comfortable, and I'm sure a lot of people would with having the people who are going through it day in and day out, and you know, you know, still you know getting through it. Um, you know, have a have a clear voice on that. It's 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 something that, you know, I think this is going to be a turning step for uh, for black people is getting, you know, mental health a a a priority. You know, I feel like you know with depression and, and anxiety, we can make our own safe spaces, and to also the 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 kids in the inner cities, you know, those are the the kids are are the ones that are are important. In my 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 most recent case. Guess we were talking about kids and we're talking about how we're raising our kids with the computers and things like that. You know, I, yeah. and, I, and I feel like, you know, with, with the tablets and things like that, those are important, but we, we need our, we need our kids to be outside more. You know what I mean? We need our kids to have those experiences versus being sheltered inside the house, you know, all day on the game or whatnot on the tablet. It's fun and all, but, I feel like as as the years are going and as always on, you know, either on FaceTime, Zoom, we're missing that 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 intimate, that that one-on-one face-to-face connection. And that's that's something I fear is you know, we're we're gonna get away from that. You well, know, COVID, I, COVID has put a stop to a, a, a lot of has. things. So, you know, we we have to acknowledge that. But as far as the kids, you know. As Drake said, until you're staring at your seed, you can never relate. And mm-hmm. I don't have any kids, so I like to, <laughs> I like to, I, I like to not throw judgment on that conversation because, as as he as he said, I, I could never relate, at least not now. I don't have none to call my own, but I sure help raise some, and they're not <laughs> two two girls and a boy, oh, or wow. two two beautiful two year old girls and a four year old boy who stopping is not in his nature when he gets to running when he gets to playing he that's that's what he loves to do is just be active you know but i honest i i agree we mentioned hove and the reform and things of that nature do you and the nfl i and you you mentioned like we need hove to be doing what he's doing no one's ever been in the position to do that you know even if he is wrong or if he's right we've never had that opportunity Right. And I feel like because of social media, because of Twitter and everyone having an opinion, everyone wanting to cancel somebody, it the 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 bigger picture got lost. The bigger picture got lost. The the true meaning behind what he was saying, what he was doing got lost because it looked as though he was a he was going against a fellow black brother, you know. I, th- I think the critique is fair. I think all of the critiques are fair. I-, I was among them. I also, as you say, I think it's important to acknowledge that that sort of thing has never happened before. And, and there's meaning in that there, there will be great positive effects for black folks because he is in um, those rooms. So it's a both and it's, it's not a, but it's yeah. a, it's a both and. And I feel like it, it just leaves the opportunity to grow. Like, you know, maybe he didn't say it in the best way he, he, sh- he could have. But it's one of those things like back to what we were saying in the beginning, we're, we're not perfect. Superstars, these celebrities, these rappers, they're not perfect, you know. And uh, and one thing to credit Hope tremendously 
he's I mean, of course, he's, you know, he's rapping. I mean, he just he just laid some hot bars on on the Black Messiah soundtrack. But the fact that he's caring about his community, caring about black people, caring about reform, caring about, you know, getting people in, a, in better positions, if not more, but at least as equal as he cares about being a rapper. I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Like definitely back to we were talking about No, uh, no Name and J. Cole. Right. If I'm not mistaken, I don't, I don't think Hove even graduated high school. Maybe that was just Joe Budden, but you get what I'm saying. And at, and at the end of the day, it don't matter. Um, and you know, concerning that uh, that uh, Judas and the Black Messiah album, you know, let's not sleep on Nas. You know that there was yeah. an incredible track there. Speaking of the Jay Z um, track, you know that also featured the late Nipsey Hussle. We have to name mm-hmm. that. My favorite one on the um, on the album was uh, the tune by her. And then even beyond that, you know, I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen the film yet, but there's historic black music in it you know maybe even what folks could consider certainly what they could consider classical music i'm thinking about um uh rasan uh rasan roland hayes i believe his name is you know has a lot of music throughout that film and folks don't necessarily know his name but he was one of these people who laid the groundwork far before anybody was rapping or or or, or making hip-hop the global sensation um, it, it is. So, you know, as we honor Hove and everything that he's done historically um, and in a contemporary sense, you know, there are folks right there along with them, you know, continue as we as I said earlier, continuing the struggle and making sure that music is always a part of that conversation and a part of that struggle. And like you said, I'm on uh, Mr. Artemanua Williams, like, you know. If you're not if you don't own the building, at least stock the shelf and keep on stocking to you, stacking for yourself. It's one of those things, like, with the, the idea of instant gratification and instant success, like, you have to start from somewhere. Right. Like, for everyone that's going to see this, like, you have to start from somewhere. The best thing is just to start, you know what I mean? Like, you know, doing this podcast and doing anything where there's going to be trials and tribulations. You're going to have to, all right, let me hit the drawing board. Let me yeah. fix this. Let me get rid of this things of that nature it is that's going to happen and it's and it's not really our fault but to a degree it is because we put these celebrities though in the spaces that they are by right. either purchasing their 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 services by continuing to talk about them and talking about them and go and support either movies music things of that nature you know it is kind of like our fault but i think definitely for the kids you know younger generation being so easy to being you know exploited or you know just lied to you know when you when you're having the kids on the phones and on the tablets for so long and not really paying attention to what they're seeing or just not paying attention to them they can see all of these things on youtube and on 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 social media and they start to not just you know what i mean they start to just not know what's true because yeah no i agree and and to bring it back you know full circle that puts a unique responsibility on the content creators. So maybe there isn't necessarily something wrong with young people 
using that technology and spending so much time with it as much as we have to think about what is the content that they're consuming. Mm -hmm. If there is content that is teaching a three-year-old Black girl who she is, what her history is, you know, the women who came before her who fought and sacrificed and what she can, you know, do for herself um, in the future, just at the beginning of her life there, you know, if that is the type of content that a a little girl is spending um, hours with in uh, in front of the iPad, I don't have a problem. Um, I think that, that we need to, you know, think about, you know, again, how we can um, engage our specific industries, uh, music content creation, every and everything outside of that to to be a part of that better future. It's it's possible. We can do it, but we all have to do it. Of course. And I would like to just um, one more. I would just like to talk about Ye for a little bit. Sure. Ye, <laughs> I, I, I hope Ye's doing good. You know, he's 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 have he has so much pressure on him. And I think yeah. that doesn't get and back to mental health when you're having so much pressure with music and hit the uh, atrocious contract he has, you know, he's fighting to be in the board of of Adidas and trying to be in a Nike. He's 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 fighting a higher fight than most of us. And that's going and being married to Kim Kardashian, that doesn't that doesn't make life as easy as people may think it is. I'll stay but, out of that one. <laughs> you know, and it, 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 it's those things where it wasn't the being in, you know, Hollywood that made him crazy, you know, dealing with his mother. I don't want to say crazy, but, you know, that made him ill and going through what he's going through, you know, the, the passing of a mother, you know, it, 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 it no law. It, it, it doesn't matter how long someone's parents died. That's never going to be something anyone can really recover from. Of course. You know, and so you got to take that in consideration. You got to take in his his workload. You know, he's made so many classic albums. The expectations only get higher. You know what I mean? And that that type of pressure, that type of that that type of pressure could make someone go crazy. It could literally make them go insane because no matter how kind of like with logic, as I always say, no matter how much blood sweat and and passion and thought you put into it they're always going to just eh, trash whatever what's next you know and yay one of my um you know one of my best friends Cheyenne um the jam he loves yay so I just give a big shout out to those two but yeah like his mental health in African American community is something that should be addressed and should should that's going to be a turning point a turning point for us you know, well, I'm, I'm definitely I'm definitely a proponent. Um, I, there are lots of black therapists out there. There are even websites specific to finding a black therapist. I think everybody black um, and maybe even everybody black and brown need to think about what therapy could do, because we all are holding a lot of trauma, you know, mm-hmm. uh, historically, but even um, in the everyday these days, dealing with COVID, dealing with job loss and unemployment and, you know, all of those things. So, yeah, you, you, you're not going to you're not going to catch me not being a proponent of that. Mental health is as important as physical health. Yes, sir. And to close, just tell me, um, talk about many upcoming projects, the podcast. How is how is that? What what direction do you want to take with that? What are you trying to what are what is what is your goals with the podcast? What what are some um, projects that you're working on? For us well, to, the, oh. yeah, the, the overall goal, as I said earlier, is to deconstruct and decolonize what we mean when we say the phrase classical music. You you know, just when you were talking about all of Kanye's albums, you called them classics. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do 
um, in my work while elevating the uh, artistry and the history of Black people in the form of classical music as we traditionally know it. So things I have going on right now, I have a, a, televi a, a television, a radio show um, in national syndication right now across uh, several public radio markets called The Sound of 13. It's the intersection of the 13th Amendment and classical music. For folks who don't know, it's the 13th Amendment that allegedly freed the slaves. But, you know, we get into what freedom looks like and and uh, it did, did it ever actually happen. Um, I do a lot of uh, consulting and uh, consultation uh, when it comes to uh, the arts and arts institutions at the intersection of race. Um, that includes uh, being on the board for the American Composers Forum. You know, we talk about that word composer. You may think of uh, an old white man sitting down in front of sheet music, but Beyonce is a composer, Drake Hove, they are all composers of music. So that's what that organization um, is looking to continue to affirm alongside the traditional tradition of classical music. Uh, I'm also on the leadership teams of the Black Opera Alliance and the International Society for Black Musicians, two other organizations that I encourage everyone to check out. And then, of course, um, I have my own podcast called Triloquy. Um, it's uh, every week. It's out uh, on Wednesdays, um, special guests um, every week and conversations at the intersection of the real world and what we mean when we say classical music. So um, I don't know when this will come out, but um, in our next episode, um, this this upcoming Wednesday, I guess that'll be February 17th, February 17th, um, we're, we're obviously going to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah and, you know, the classic aesthetics uh, connected uh, with that music. We also uh, have some drama and some things to talk about with the Boston Pops. So it, it's definitely very wide ranging. Um, but you know, we, we, we do it for the people. I do it. Uh, I've dedicated myself uh, to this sort of work because I love what music has done for my life. For me, it happened to be the bassoon and classical music, but there are connections everywhere. And the more stories that we can share about our different experiences and different fields of music, the more we can learn about each other uh, and the more we can work toward building our own and creating those safe spaces. So if anyone wants to learn about any of my projects and anything that I'm doing, um, just visit my website, GarrettMcQueen.com. Um, uh, Triloquy is available anywhere you uh, listen to podcasts. More information on that at Triloquy triloquy.org, T-R-I-L-L-O-Q-U-Y.org. And of course, um, I'm always down to uh, collaborate and work with other content creators. So it's been a pleasure for me to um, sit down and, and, and chat with you. I think you're doing uh, really, really great work. It's not easy to sit down for two hours and just chit chat with someone, but you make it very easy. So congratulations on everything you're doing. Thank you. Really, thank you for that. I really appreciate that. It's, it's, it, it's sometimes it is very tiring, you know, but it's, um, it, it's always well worth it, you know, and that's definitely, um, thank you for all what you said, beautifully well-spoken, of course, one and only. That's, that's one of the goals I have for this podcast this month was nothing but African-American artists. So we can talk about our African-American roots and, you know, Black History Month and things of that nature. And so to be able to have you know, this come to fruition and have such a great experience and such a great time. It's 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 a it's a dream come true. This is I'm 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 saying like we this has been something that's been in the works, maybe you know, unbeknownst to me, but this is something that's been manifesting for a few years actually. And I'm I'm really blessed to have this coming coming to um to life. And thank you for all that you do. You know, your radio station, your podcast, your work, your work ethic, you know, how how you just go about your business. It's it's 
is what is, you know, real and it is motivating. And like I said before, you know, your, your work and how you go about it, um, it, it didn't, it, it did inspire this creation of what I have. And it's, it's a work in progress, like each and every single one of us, but it's going to be, it's going to be better. And, you know, striving for greatness, you know, like LeBron James, you know, strive for greatness, strive to be a better version of myself, of ourselves. And it takes, it, it, it starts with us. We, we, we want change. Change has to start with us and it starts within ourselves. And that's the, that's the thing. That's the beauty right there. So. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, until next time, this, this is, this has been, this is a major key right here. Garrett, this is, this has been major key and I really do wish you a rest, a wonderful rest of your night. It's, it's Saturday. Yeah. yeah. Saturday. <laughs> have a, have a great Saturday. Have a great weekend. And until the, until next time. Yeah. 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 See you again. See you.